Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. You shall leave everything you love most. This is the arrow that the bow of exile shoots first. You are to know the bitter taste of others' bread, how salty it is, and know how hard a path is for one who goes ascending and descending others' stairs. Dante wrote this description of banishment in his Paradiso, reflecting on his many years of exile from his native Florence due to political crimes. Machiavelli was also exiled from his city of birth. It's little known outside of Italy that the exact same legal operation remains in force today and is the most common way that radicals are punished and isolated there. Entire groups receive exile orders after demonstrations or strikes in order to disrupt organizing and undermine solidarity. Several anarchists have just received orders of exile from the city of Teramo, Italy, in the aftermath of a demonstration outside of the local prison. Police had ordered them to remain at a public square, far from the prison, but the demonstrators violated the command in order to get close enough for the prisoners to hear them. Some of those under the exile order wrote the following reflections. Quote, now in conclusion, a couple of banal considerations, but which are always useful. The first concerns an obvious truth. Someone might think, that demo could become a trap, given that it had been authorized in one place and staged in another. That's right. It's true that one runs the risk of ending up in the grips of repression when one doesn't comply with the power's orders. But it's also true that no social improvement would ever have been achieved if power's orders had always been complied with. We're not going to dwell on this, also because each one answers to their own self as to what they do according to how much they want to risk. But spaces for action, even small ones, even in forgotten areas, were only one thanks to the many tiny ruptures made in the everyday struggles. This said, a final consideration. The instruments for opposing these repressive acts, especially the administrative ones, can be various, and it is up to everyone's own intelligence and solidarity to think it over and find a way. If we were able to create a solidarity network so that comrades in the grip of repression could have their backs covered a little bit, for small things at least, the small ruptures we make every day in this miserable society would become huge openings through which the seeds of revolt would be able to bloom over and over again." Unquote. Several inmates at Wabash Valley Correctional Facility have announced that they have begun a hunger strike to protest their deteriorating conditions. Their immediate demands include removal from camera-monitored cells, relocation from abusive staff, and the cessation of tampering with food and the confiscation, reading, and withholding of mail by administration. The announcement follows a sequence of escalating problems that have unfolded in the prison for the past several months. For some time, the IDOC has pursued a path of repression characterized by the isolation of inmates whom it perceives threatening to the stability of the regime of oppression. These inmates are often kept in Indiana's form of isolation known as secure control units. Wabash Valley has taken this practice, widely recognized to be a form of torture, to new extremes by indefinitely detaining inmates in isolation cells monitored 24 hours a day through video surveillance. The selective treatment of politically conscious inmates is not limited to isolation and surveillance, however. Prisons in Indiana have developed a parallel judicial system in which the civil protections available to free citizens are completely absent. Inmates are consistently penalized and charged with internal violations which can result in their placement in isolation or loss of good time, by which Indiana code cannot be regained. 
In these faux courts, prisoners are deprived of any right to representation or possibility of viewing the evidence used against them. Charges are often brought as a form of reprisal, beginning with disciplinary reports filed by disgruntled or sadistic guards looking to punish inmates for refusing passive obedience to their oppression. The increasingly severe forms of repression manifest on all levels of the IDOC and affect all inmates as well. Several trends have coalesced and finally culminated in an irreconcilable crisis. The current landscape of the IDOC is a result of these trends, primarily the entrenchment at the top levels of executive administration of old guard prison staff experienced in the ways of prisoner abuse, the construction of prison facilities in rural, economically depleted areas which produce a situation that pits the solidarity of largely Euro-white communities against predominantly non-Euro-white prisoners, and finally the privatization of all aspects of prison operation and management. These trends mutually influence and extend one another, creating an increasingly antagonistic atmosphere, resolvable only through the initiative of prisoners in taking all measures to reassert their humanity. They're asking supporters to call the Wabash Valley Warden, Richard Brown, at 812-398-5050. Again, that's Richard Brown at 812-398-5050 and demand that he accept the prisoners' demands. We'll have more on this hunger strike later. This week, we share the first part of a conversation with Solomon X, a former prisoner in Illinois. He describes bad conditions and exploitation in the Menard prison, the site of many recent struggles, and compares it with other facilities. Many of his memories will be recognizable to Hoosiers. Elsewhere, he's spoken of prisoners choking to death without receiving aid. A similar situation occurred in Westville, Indiana, sparking a round of protests there. Here's Solomon. My name is Solomon X. People that knew me from the past... They still refer to my old name as Sullivan, you know, and there's history behind the transition from Sullivan to Solomon, but I go by Solomon. I am 37 years old. I'm originally from Pulaski, Illinois, originally. Grew up pretty much in Southern Illinois all of my life. Left when I was about 16, though, actually. I left, went to Job Corps in Kansas City, Missouri. Met some people, got out of Job Corps, went to the military for a while. Me and Uncle Sam didn't get along, so I didn't <laughs> stay there forever. Got out of the military, got involved uh, with some old people, old, old lifestyle, ended up drug trafficking, so I ended up getting busted for that and called a case, conspiracy to distribute cocaine, and I uh, received a 10-year federal prison sentence in 2001. And so... From there, it's been doing that prison sentence, you know, getting out, pretty much fully released from the FBOP, Federal Bureau of Prisons, May 29, 2009. is when I was released from the halfway house. Was on parole. I came home, um, working for a while, you know, just back and forth, and uh, ended up making another decision to where, as you know, me and my little brother, we robbed a bank, so... Didn't work out too well, so I ended up getting sentenced to 10 years again, but this time it was state prison, and so I ended up going to Menard. Now, federal prisons, I, were, I was in Oxford, Wisconsin, Waseca, Minnesota, when it was still a male institution. It's a female institution now. And Forest City, Arkansas, when I had to go back to federal prison after I did my state time. So it's pretty much the broad overview. Prisons, since I've been to a few of them, you know, I've seen good, bad, and ugly. Prisons, you know, as they say, are designed for reform, which oftentimes they don't do. 
you know, I, I learned through my journeys in them, you know, if you're not, you know, working to reform yourself, then, you know, you won't be reformed. But prisons can help in that by having things available for you to reform yourself. So the best prison that I went to, best prison, right, or the one that I believe was truly actually designed and set up for reform of individuals was uh, Oxford, Wisconsin. Oxford, Wisconsin, it was, of course, in Wisconsin, but they had the most uh, services, mm -hmm. right? Meaning they had schools, so you can actually um, get you a college degree through the University of Wisconsin. You know, they had a satellite location, which was located in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So you had professors come in and teach whatever, whatever it was, you know, whatever subject they was teaching. So they had that. You could also get a culinary arts trade. Of course, it was also through the University of Wisconsin, too, but it was another technical college, but, but you had to also take some classes through the University of Wisconsin also. And once again, they had an on-site location, so you actually learned um, all the technical stuff of culinary arts, and it was actually an accredited place, you know, to where you could get out, have that skill, you know, be, you know, more employable, they had dental technician vocational training to where, you know, um, they made false teeth so you could learn how to do that and among other things. So they had that available. You know, the list of trades, an electric shop, carpentry shop, plumbing shop, machine shop. So you could do that. Then they had nice recreational facilities. You know what I mean? Uh, they had a big yard, a lot of weights, um, music shack, you know, for guys who like to do music. Um, go in there and make beats or just play music or whatever. I mean, it was a nice, it was a nice facility, but it had, more importantly, it had all the things there. Oh, it also had a prison industries, Unicor. And there's a lot of mixed feelings around, you know, those prison industries too. I mean, regardless of how you slice it up, it's exploitation, you know, on one end. But on another end, you know, if you have a guy that's serving 10, 15, 5, 10, 15 years since, whatever the case and he needs to work, you know, you're gonna work because you don't never wanna get out of the habit of not working, just sitting around, you know, either lifting weights all day or reading books all day, you know, you want to, cause you have to have a livelihood. But they made electronic cable harnesses for military vehicles. Mm -hmm. So you actually learn quite a bit about electricity, principles of electricity, you know, matter of fact, our job title, you know, the people who was building these cables, we were actually considered electrical engineers mm -hmm. because we built a lot of these cables from scratch and had to read the schematics and blueprints and X, Y, and Z. But, you know, working there, it, when you're first starting out, you're going to make 23 cents an hour. You can probably make you two, three, four, five hundred dollars a month. That was definitely good from that perspective. And, you know, it was a pretty big factory. So they had that also. So among all these programs, schools, uh, then they had, like I said, uh, a nice factory you could work in. So. It was actually set up for reform. When I think about it, because I've seen good, bad, and ugly on the prison side, even some of the guards, the way they treated inmates, handled inmates, I mean, they were still correctional officers, but at the same time, it was just more laid back. Like, you're there, you're doing your time. You know, they wouldn't more or less bother you. Of course, you always have your cranks out of the bunch, but... Uh, that was probably the best because it was set up for actual reform. And then it was on you if you wanted to get involved in this. But you can go in there and just not do anything, you know what I mean, and just wait for your time to go past and be released. But uh, if you wanted to re reform yourself, there was, you know, avenues that you could take. So that was, 
That was probably the best. Waseka, Minnesota, you know, it was kind of the same because it was a step down. But they didn't have, it was a low security, but they actually didn't have as many programs as Oxford, Wisconsin. So that was okay, but I was only there for my last, like, year and a half. So I wasn't really focused on a lot of things like that because I did, was able to uh, graduate from college at Oxford and save a lot of money and, you know, do a lot of things. So that worked out for me at that particular time. So back then, federal prison, it was like, you know, if you want to go to prison, that's where you want to go because, yeah, I mean, you know, the feds generally just have more money. So, you know, you're getting, you know, hot breakfasts, meals, you know, three times a day, lunch and dinner. They usually had a full salad bar. And, I mean, you ate, you know, the food wasn't the best quality. But, I mean, hell, you know, you could eat, you know, three times a day for free, commissary. I mean, if you want, you know, commissary, you know, is actually somewhat considered a luxury, you know, because then that's when you can get your noodles, your chips, you know, and all of these knickknacks that, you know, just, you know, things from the streets that you can get. So that was kind of a luxury. Phone calls, now phones, that was the big killer. They would really rape us on phone calls because, yeah, I remember then, and it's still like that now, when I left in 2017, this year. Phone calls, about 25 cents a minute. And you got 15-minute phone calls, so you got 15 minutes a shot, you know, you call. So your call, your, your average call was about $3.20. You know, now it's about $0.21. Cent. I suppose, Supposedly it's getting ready to go down. You know, they, they had some law change. I've seen something. But as of when I left January 10th of this year, 2017, it hadn't went down from 21 cents a minute. So it's 21 cents a minute. So you were getting raped there. But, you know, you had all these outside companies that what they would do now, the new thing, because somebody would always find a way to, you know, cheat things. Um, you had a lot of outside companies that you could buy local numbers because if you had a local number and you were calling a local number, it was six cents a minute, which is still pretty high because phone service out here is just yeah. like nothing. But from 21 cent, cent to 6 cents is a really big difference. So people got by these local numbers. Your family would have to, like, get this local number on their phone that they can receive calls, you know. And that was a service that they charged for. But if you really use the phone a lot, you could do that. But the phone was the big killer, you know, as far as, um, you know, made a lot of money. But, yeah, if you factor in a lot of those things, it just, it just depends what kind of person you were, how disciplined you were. And if you had some type of plan to go for when you want to get out, you know, because you could spend all your money and things of that sort. But um, so it really depended on you. This unicorn had been there for quite some time. And you figure like OSHA law has been around since the 70s and they never even, and this is the federal government, they never even began to implement OSHA policies until about 2006 or seven. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had been working at Unicor for about three years. So, I mean, it's like anything, you know, you have safety standards, but then you have employees, and then you have the pressure of getting things done, getting mm-hmm. the job done. So, you know, you're not going to be looking like, okay, well, this is supposed to be, you know. But toxic chemicals, uh, safety standards, I think those things were at a bare minimum. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So a lot of times we may have been being exposed to things and don't even know it. And usually that's how it works, you know, when you're dealing with a 
a place big factory like that and employees who just want a job, need a job, somebody ain't got no money coming in for their family, so they think this is the greatest thing in the world, however you've been exposed to all type of mess. And then I found out what they were doing with these cables and these military vehicles. A lot of the stuff, because it was, it was like old, outdated technology, mm-hmm. so what the federal government done, what the military were doing, they were taking what, you know, these, these this military hardware that we were building, and they were selling this stuff to foreign countries. You know, hence America, the biggest arms dealer almost mm-hmm. around the world. And we had no idea that we were making all of this stuff and the military was selling it to everybody. It, they, it wasn't the, the uh, stuff that the U.S. military would use. This stuff was, I mean, it was probably the worst. It wasn't really put together really great. Put some stuff together. Oh, that'd be okay. Well, a lot of stuff was going to a lot of foreign countries. Those unicorns, they're shutting a lot of them down. Now, the one I worked at is shut down now, the last time I heard. And some other ones are starting to be shut down. They want to open them back up again, you know, because there's two sides to it. You know what I mean? There's a side of the guys who are in prison that are working there, that don't have any money coming in from the streets, and they're going to be released in X amount of years. And so they're like, you know, how do I make some money, get some money. And then that comes along, like, hey, hell yeah, let me, you know, I mean, you got guys literally kicking down the door to get in there because, I mean, you know, you play on desperate people, in a desperate situation, you know, that's what ends up happening. So when you look at the whole macrocosm of it, you know, it's not really good, so. Now the worst was Menard. Menard is located in Chester, Illinois, and that is the worst prison I've ever been to. Um, they had, you know, it's set off in two sections. You know, you have a maximum security portion of it, which is, you know, famously known or infamously known as the pit. And it sets in a pit, literally, you know, right beside the Mississippi River and railroad tracks. And then you have the minimum security or the medium security, which is on the hill, because it's up on a hill. Menard, the pit, the maximum security is the worst I've ever seen. 23-hour lockdown. I was there in the maximum security a little over a year, about a year and some change. And then I ended up going to the minimum security after that. That went to the hole one other time. So when you go to segregation, you know you go back down there. So I've been down there for a while. But that's the absolute worst. I mean, they cart your breakfast up to you. So about three o'clock in the morning, you know, they, yeah, you three o'clock in the morning, they, 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 you eat, they're passing out breakfast trays. So, you know, because it's like three thousand people down there, some give and take. So, it's, it's a huge operation. But anyway, so three o'clock in the morning, they caught they're carting your breakfast up to you. So you know, you get up, get your little breakfast tray, and if you want to eat, you can eat. If you don't, maybe you can put it in some other container, save it. Maybe lunchtime, you leave out of your cell to go to the child hall to eat lunch. And you probably got five to seven minutes literally to eat. At the, from the time you got your tray, if you didn't start hurrying up and eating, you know, you literally got five to seven minutes. And this was lunch and dinner. And that counted as your hour out of the cell when you went to lunch and dinner. They may run showers uh, maybe two to three times a week, right? So a lot of times, you know, most people, you know, taking bird baths in the sink, so that may that may have counted as a portion of your hour. They run yard probably two, maybe three times a week, three times a week in the summertime. And they run it between two and a half hours to about an hour at a time because they have to give you at least 
five hours of yard. You know, you're supposed to get an hour out a day, but they have to give you, I think they say five. So they, they try to make it seem where they stretching it to about five to seven hours. So and that may happen on the weekends, two or three times a week. So you don't have much sale time out. The sales are really old, really bad condition. Some of these sale houses, like down there in the, in the North House, you know, they call it on Front Street. You know, one of the sale houses have actually, has actually been condemned. So no one can live in it because it used to be the administrative building. You know, it's old, built in the 1800s, you know, loaded with asbestos. So the workers, you know, and people in the administrative, they was like, you know, we can't be in this building. So they complained. So they built a new facility for them. But, you know, you have buildings that's pretty much that, that's that's connected and adjacent to them, you know, the North and the South House. And they all in the same type of building structure. So they never emptied these out of the prisoners. But the administration and the people that work there, they was like, OK, we need to get them out of here because, you know, of course, they have more access to lawyers, they own the streets mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So, yeah. So these buildings are pretty much condemned that, that the people are living in. Elm Front Street, which is the North and the South House, and in SEG. SEG used to be the old mental institution. Now they turned it into SEG, and it's pretty much the same. When you're in segregation, you get an hour. You you have that same yard schedule, but you do not. Actually, no, you do leave to go to showers. And it's so crazy because there's literally no difference between segregation and regular general. Okay. It's literally no difference because you're locked up pretty much 23 hours a day. So there's no difference. There's nothing there. You know, there's no school. They have a library and they do have a law library if you're lucky enough to get to it because the place stays on lockdown so much. The place is on lockdown so much that, um, I mean, you're lucky if you can get to a library, fight your case, any of these things. So, And that's another thing. The place is always on lockdown for the pettiest thing. I think when I was there um, between 2010 and 2011, I think within a year's time, the place stayed on lockdown well over 200 days. And these are days where you don't come out at all. I mean, they're willing... All your meals up to you at this particular time, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, they may run showers once or twice a week, you know, maybe, you know, so. And that happens often, you know what I mean? That happens often because, you know, that that place has gotten to a point where the administration and the people that work there have had, you know, they, they have the spirit of just, you know, let them sit there and rot in these cells. You know, if they just sit in the cells, you know, we'll give them TVs and, uh, let them go to the commissary every now and then to get honey buns and all this, you know, bad food. And the food, oh, my God, yeah. So, yeah, so they take that type of policy, just pretty much warehousing people. So that's not reform at all. None of it. I mean, it's just you sit there in a cell and that's it. I mean, it's almost like a living death. The food. The food is really bad because, it, you know, the meat they serve is a hybrid meat, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's a, yeah, it's a mixture of, like, ground turkey, but then they mix it with texturized vegetable protein, which is some type of soy-based mm-hmm. protein. Then you have actual soy protein and some other little additives, preservatives, ingredients, and it's literally ruining people's health. 
So you have this soy lace food, chicken patties, I don't care what it is. It's not real, you know, none of the stuff is pretty much real. All of this is soy lace, you know, processed food, so it's killing people's health. Uh, the men are not able to digest the food properly, so you have a bunch of people with digestive health systems problems. And it's such bad food, you know, it's, it's, it's prematurely aging people, you know. Um, it's, it's, if you have to eat so fast, if you go into the child hall and, you know, you have to wolf everything down in seven minutes, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, there's a higher risk right there of choking. Yeah. So the sales, you literally, you know, now, and you have two sale houses in the back, the East and the West House, and these are newer sale houses. They were built in the 1930s. The ones that were built in the 1800s that, you know, what they call on Front Street, the North and the South House, North 1, North 2, North 1 is said, and North 2, I believe, I may have mixed up, but it don't matter. North 1, North 2, and the South, Uppers and Lowers. These are really old sales, so you, can, you can't stretch your arms out like this. Stretching your arms out from end to end, you can't do that. It's going to be like this because I think, I believe the sales are four and a half by 12. Four feet mm-hmm. with, you know, 12 length. Two-man sales when they're really designed for one person. I mean, they're literally so small. If you're selling, you know, have a sale, you know, you're in a sale with a guy, you all usually going to have to take shifts about, you know, who's going to kind of be on the floor doing things, you know, handling their business. Maybe they're fighting their case or they just up moving around, maybe trying to get a workout in, whatever the case may be. If your sale is up, Maybe during the day, you know, getting his affairs in order, you probably want to be up at nighttime because to, for you all to be moving back and forth in that cell at the same time, it just not going well. So that's the worst place I've ever been. The worst story I heard was in the flood of 93. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they just recently got flooded. And so if you're on the lower tiers, you know, one and two gallery, they have about eight galleries, you know, so it's four, you know, you got the bottom floor, second floor, third floor, fourth floor. So if you're on the lower tier and this flooding comes, they're going to have, you know, you're going to have to pack all your stuff up and move up, you know. And, And so when you get the flooding, you know, of course, now. The water supply is damaged, you know, the water supply. And the water is horrible. I mean, you can just, uh, <laughs> the water is horrible. The, you know, and you have to drink this water, you know, so you can always see the stuff in it, you know. And if you leave it, you know, you know, God told me, hey, man, do this experiment. Put some water in the cup and just, you know, put like a lid over the top over it and um, let it sip two or three days, you know, and smell it. And uh, it literally smells like feces because the water that you're getting you know you have your sink that you may be washing up in or whatever the case may be is connected to your toilet and so the plumbing in the building is so old and ran down I'm almost certain that you have some cross contamination sure. you know what I mean so it's, it's it's really bad you know what I mean it's really bad to where it's you have to literally, if you want to protect yourself and preserve your health and your life, you have to literally say, okay, I can't eat too much of this food and I can't drink too much of this water. And so now here go the basic necessity of how you're going to live. And if you don't have money coming in to where you can go to the commissary and pay good money for bad food still, you know, it's uh, yeah, that's that's the worst.
This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.